And the text is First Chronicles, the 29th chapter, verses 11 and 12. King David, speaking before all the congregation of Israel, bless the Lord. Notice his words of praise and thanksgiving. We'll begin with the 10th verse. Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness. Who is great? God is great. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the majesty and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Who's great? God is great. Can he make anybody else great? Yes, if they'll be in his hand. Was Lucifer great? Yes, he was the greatest in the universe. But he lost it, friends, when he put himself out of God's hand. True greatness depends upon what God is doing in our lives. True greatness depends upon the Great One, the Creator, the Infinite One. Nothing that we can do apart from Him. Thine it is to make great, in thy hands to make great. When I was a boy in school, I remember a little poem about Alexander the Great. So I looked it up. I thought the boys and girls would be interested in it, and probably some of you that aren't children anymore. This is a dialogue conversation between a father and his son. How big was Alexander, Paul, that people call him great? Was he like old Goliath tall, his spear a hundredweight? Was he so large that he could stand like some tall steeple high, and while his feet were on the ground, his hands could touch the sky? Oh no, my child, about as large as I or Uncle James. T'was not his stature made him great, but greatness of his name. His name so great? I know tis long, but easy quite to spell, and more than half a year ago I knew it very well. I mean, my child, his actions were so great. He got a name that everybody speaks with praise, that tells about his fame. Well, what great action did he do? I want to know it all. Why, he it was that conquered Tyre and leveled down her wall and thousands of her people slew, and then to Persia went, and fire and sword on every side through many of the region sent. A hundred conquered cities shone with midnight burnings red, and strewed o'er many a battleground a thousand soldiers bled. 
Did killing people make him great? Then why was Abdul Young, who killed his neighbor training day, put into jail and hung? I never hear them call him great. Why, no, t'was not in war, and him that kills a single man, his neighbors all abhor. Well, then, if I should kill a man, I'd kill a hundred more. I should be great and not be hung like Abdul Young before. Not so, my child, t'will never do. The gospel bids be kind. Then they that kill and they that praise, the gospel do not mind. Alexander the Great. The Great. Did you know the Bible calls him great? Let's turn to Daniel and take a look at it. In fact, it calls him very great. Remember the eighth chapter of the book of Daniel? Daniel was shown a ram and a he-goat in a battle between them. The ram is plainly said to be Medo-Persia in the 20th verse. And in the 21st verse, the goat is said to be Greece, and the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. That's Alexander. Now we'll take a look at the great. In the fourth verse, Daniel saw the ram pushing in various directions, and nobody could resist him for a while. The last line says he did according to his will and became great. That's me to Persia. But as the prophet was looking, the goat appeared on the scene, coming from the west. The goat had a notable horn between his eyes. We've already read what the angel said in the 21st verse, that that's the first king, that's Alexander. And in the 6th and 7th verses, we see the great battle, probably the battle that he saw was the river Granicus, where the hosts of Persia were defeated by the army of Alexander. In the seventh verse, we see the ram utterly defeated. Nobody could deliver him. The eighth verse says, therefore the he-goat waxed what? Very great. Very great. So in a sense, it's all right to call Alexander the Great. But oh my, don't, let's not stop here. When he was strong, the great horn was broken. You know how old Alexander was when he 33 years old? Think of it. He died in a drunken debauch, celebrating his victories. He had conquered in all directions. And at Babylon, he engaged in a great festivity in celebration. He kept drinking, 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 till finally... He was, died, you might say, a suicide from his indulgence of alcohol. Conquered the world, but he couldn't conquer himself. Was he great? Not in the eyes of God, my friends. In the eyes of men, yes. He was great in his influence for a time. But like a meteor flashing across the sky, drawing the attention 
of thousands or millions, his light went out in obscurity. I don't want to be like that, do you? Let's turn to Daniel, the twelfth chapter, the third verse. Here we'll see the real great ones. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Not like meteors that flash and then go out, like Alexander. But like the fixed stars that shine on generation after generation, age after age, forever and ever. So God's stars, the truly great ones, will be. I'd like to take a look at David, the one that end our opening text. In Second Samuel, the 16th chapter, it's true David made some terrible mistakes. But thank God, he had a deep repentance. And God appreciated David because he was willing to admit when he was wrong and seek forgiveness. You remember in Second Samuel, the 16th chapter, we see David in flight. His son Absalom has rebelled against him and is on the march with an army. And rather than see Jerusalem become a battlefield, David retires with those who are loyal to him. He goes up the Mount of Olives in mourning, sad that there is rebellion, a hundredfold greater sorrow because it's his own son that's leading the rebels. And his sorrow is still greater because he knows it's his own fault. He's reaping the results of his former transgressions. He hadn't been as faithful as he should in training his children. His own sins tended to make him more lenient than he should have been. And now Absalom has risen up to slay his father if necessary and take the throne. As he goes up, there's a man called Shimei that curses him, the seventh verse, calls him a bloody man. Some of those with David say, why should this man curse the king? Let us go over and take off his head, the eleventh verse. And David said to Abishai and all his servants, Behold, my son, which came forth of my bowels, seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone and let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. David was taking his whipping. He was enduring the punishment, the results of his sins. Twelfth verse. It may be that the Lord will look on mine affliction and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. Notice the comment on this in the book Patriarchs and Prophets, page 738. The Lord did not forsake David, 
This chapter in his experience, when under cruel, cruelest wrong and insult, he shows himself to be humble, unselfish, generous, and submissive, is one of the noblest in his whole experience. Never was the ruler of Israel more truly great in the sight of heaven than at this hour of his deepest outward humiliation. So if we're going to think about greatness, we must use heaven's yardstick. The greatest hour in David's life was when in humiliation he revealed the loving, forgiving, merciful spirit of Jesus. Never was the ruler of Israel more truly great in the sight of heaven than at this hour of his deepest outward humiliation. That was true greatness. Let's take another example. First Kings, the third chapter. This is David's son, Solomon. You remember, he finally came to the kingdom, placed there by David in his old age. And as young Solomon faced the tremendous problems of the kingdom and realized that to him had been given the commission to build a temple, he longed for wisdom which he knew he didn't have of himself. First Kings, the third chapter and the seventh verse. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. Why make a man king like that? We want a king that stands up and says, I know what to do, come. Notice the comment on this in the book Prophets and Kings, page 30. Solomon was never so rich or so wise or so truly great as when he confessed, I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. That was a great day in Solomon's life. And oh, if he'd only continued in that attitude. But he allowed the great wisdom that God gave him in answer to this prayer to turn his head. He became proud, self-exalted, like Lucifer before him. And although he was the wisest king that Israel ever had, as far as knowledge and insight were concerned. Yet he allowed that wisdom that God had given him to make him a leader in apostasy. Isn't it terrible, friend? He lost the greatness. Thank God, before he died, he repented. He spent his few remaining days in an earnest endeavor to lead his people back. That's when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, in which he shows his sorrow 
his repentance over the way he had gone. My point is this, friends. Solomon's greatness was in his humility, and when he lost that, he lost the real greatness. Now let's turn to Philippians, the second chapter, and see the most beautiful example of this quality in all history, in all the universe. Philippians, the second chapter, beginning with the fifth verse. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. No one ever went so low in the path of humility and self-abnegation as Jesus did. No one will ever be exalted as Jesus. In the whole universe, loyal and disloyal, at the final judgment day will unite in recognizing him as the one worthy of the highest worship. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. When was Jesus' greatest hour? Not, my dear friends, when he's finally crowned and all the universe unite in praise. Christ's greatest hour was at Calvary. There is where the greatest revelation of the character of God was made. There, as he went to the very lowest depth in humiliation and giving of himself, there he revealed the truest greatness, the greatness of our Lord. For the greatness of God does not lie in his power or even in his wisdom so much as in his love. Ah, oh, if his almighty power were not linked with love, what a tyrant he could be. If his wisdom were not linked with love, what a fiend he could be. Lucifer, with only a fraction of the power and the wisdom, what a tyrant and what a fiend he's turned out to be. But thank God, in Jesus we behold a creator who is not only all-powerful and all-wise, but he's all-loving. 
And in Christ we see the greatness of humility. You remember he taught his disciples that lesson. It was there in the upper room he washed their feet. He told them, he said, you call me Lord and Master, and I am. But you've seen that I washed your feet, and I want you to give your lives to loving service as I have. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. Great Alexander the Great, our friend, how his greatness shrivels when compared with the greatness of David, the greatness of Solomon, when in humility he said, I am but a little child, I need wisdom to be king. And oh, when we contrast it all of Alexander's achievements with the life and death of our Lord Jesus Christ, I don't want to be like Alexander the Great. I want to be like Jesus, don't you? But friends, I'd like to be very practical tonight. Every one of us is choosing from day to day which way we're going. Do you really wish to be like Jesus? Are you willing to give up the praises of men, willing to be insulted and derided, criticized, persecuted, falsely accused? Are you willing to have those about you feel that you're throwing your life away as you give yourself for others. This was the experience of Christ. Men could not see why one who possessed such power should walk about in such poverty. Men could not understand how possessing such wisdom he would allow himself to be taken by his enemies and persecuted. The remnant are going to be soon in a position where the only way they will go through will be to have settled in their hearts what it means to be truly great. We must come to the point where we hate that kind of greatness which is represented in Alexander. The cruel triumph of might over might, power over power, force over force. We must come to the place where the only greatness we admire and imitate is the greatness of loving humility that Jesus exemplified. Jesus and Alexander died at 33. One lived and died for self. One died for you and me. The Greek died on a throne. The Jew died on a cross. One's life a triumph seemed, the other but a loss. One led vast armies forth, the other walked alone. One shed a whole world's blood, the other gave his own. One won the world in life and lost it all in death. The other lost his life to win the whole world's faith. Jesus and Alexander died at 33. The Greek made all men slaves. The Jew made all men free. 
One built a throne on blood, the other built on love. The one was born of earth, the other from above. The one won all this earth to lose all earth and heaven. The other gave up all that all to him be given. The Greek forever died. The Jew forever lives. He loses all who gets. He wins all things who gives. May we pray. Blessed Lord, rightly interpret to our hearts this glimpse of two lives. Oh, may we be cured forever of the selfish ambition that motivated Alexander. May we be filled forever with the love, the sacrifice, sacrificial love that moved our blessed Lord and that moves him still to intercede for us. Spoil this world and all its selfishness for us. May we no longer be impressed with its glitter and tinsel, its glamour, its fool's gold. Oh, may we embrace the greatness of humility, the greatness of loving service, the greatness of being like Jesus. Do it for us and in us and through us, I pray, my blessed Lord. Amen. Well, we had a wonderful time last week. As many witnessed for the Master, their response. Will you who spoke last Friday night listen tonight? And you who didn't speak may speak tonight. I just want to share this evening how much this message has meant to me. I think all of us as young people try to conceive in our minds uh, that God has a great, it's gonna, that he's going to make us great, that all the world's going to stand back and say, boy, aren't you something? I'm very thankful to, to know and understand what heaven considers great, the greatness of love and the greatness of unselfish service. I pray that in all of our hearts tonight we may, may grasp this and live it with each other. In Jesus' name, amen. This gave me a new idea of greatness. I'm glad that what God calls great is available to each of us. It is in thine hand to make great. I have been the opposite. I've never wanted to be great. I can remember praying that the Lord would not give me anything that would make me great. But it wasn't. It was because I didn't know how to handle it. I now choose to be what the Lord wants me to be, great or, or humble, whatever. Amen. But most of all, I want to give humble, loving service as Jesus did. Sister. Before you go, you said you're willing to be great or humble. Be great and humble. Amen. Thank you. <laughs>
pointed out last Friday night, it's too bad when the only way we can avoid pride is to be so little in our results that we can see nothing to be proud about. God is getting some people ready to accomplish marvelous things. We're going to see thousands converted in a day. We're going to see the sick healed. All the miracles of the early church repeated on a worldwide scale. And not one of those who are thus used of God in that mighty way will have their heads turned to pride and self-exaltation. Why not? They've learned this lesson that we studied last week and that we're studying again tonight. Oh, God wants to make us great, friends. Not so we can be proud, but so his name can be glorified. It's in his hand to make great. Let's give him all the glory. What do you say? This message spoke to me about pride. It broke my heart because that's what I've been having. And I want to read Matthew 10, 38 and 39. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, it's wonderful when we can learn these lessons while we're young, dear friends. And we have our goals in life. Let God work out his will instead of choosing our own course, mapping our own careers. It is in thine hand to make great. Gracious Lord, we thank thee for the message from thy word that magnifies true greatness and shows us the utter littleness of human promotion, human fame, human notoriety. Lord, we thank thee that in thy mercy and love thou hast called us into the path with Jesus, the blood-stained path of Calvary. We know that on beyond lies the glory of eternal reward. But our Father, we thank thee that thou wilt get us ready before we get there, so that we will not spoil heaven with pride the way Lucifer did. Now dismiss us with thy blessing and help us to share this holy Sabbath with others. We ask it in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.